You're listening to episode one of the Inconvenience Podcast featuring Kent Couch. Welcome to the Inconvenience Podcast. My name is Frank Beard. And I'm Al Abeer. And Al, this is our first episode. It is, Frank, and it's kind of fun. It's just, uh, Frank and I are just two guys who love talking about the convenience store industry, and uh, we're going to let you in on some of the conversations we have with some of the most interesting people in the industry. Frank knows everybody. (laughs) I wish, not quite, but... Yeah, we should actually take a moment and explain what this podcast is. Um, You know, so Al and I had been... Um, talking about five or six months ago, just about how we've had so many, we've met so many interesting folks in this industry. And I mean, we have all this audio equipment sitting around that we're not doing anything with. And we thought, why don't we just start recording long conversations um, with folks that are really interesting um, that everybody would like to hear from. And, you know, one thing led to another and settled on a really cool name, the Inconvenience Podcast. And here we are. Yeah. And I think uh, we, we hope it's going to be fun. Uh, but also we think it's going to be a great opportunity for you to, uh, learn a little bit about what's going on in the industry and things that might help you with your business as well. And our goal for this is really simple. We want to have long form conversations about an hour to two hours longer if folks are interested and, um, you know, try to replicate the best we can. Those conversations that we all really have, um, after trade shows where we just, um, get into a long discussion about what's happening in the industry with each other. And that's what we'd like to produce on here to the best of our ability. So um, I, with, that, with that said, I'm actually really excited about our first guest. I know, I know. And, and you know, talk about a trade show. We, we had a chance to connect with Kent Couch uh, at the next show in Atlanta. So our first episode, which we're going to get into here shortly, was actually, as Al said, recorded at the NAC show. Um, and... I was excited about the guest, so I'm sure everyone listening probably remembers, uh, I believe it was back in 2007 when it made international news, actually. I saw it in an article from The Telegraph, which was, I actually remember reading this article. Um, Individual decided to hook a bunch of balloons to a lawn chair and go flying across parts of the United States. Um, Well, later, shortly after I got involved with this industry, I had the chance to go visit um, his store in Bend, Oregon. It turns out the guy who did that, his name is Kent Couch, and owns one of the coolest convenience stores in Bend, Oregon. I remember walking into this store, and I mean, first first off, again, it's Oregon, so people have to pump your gas for you. You can't pump your own fuel. And uh, he had all these high schoolers working outside um, in these kind of classic uniforms that were fun. Everyone looked like they're having a great time. You go in the store, and there were like 40 beers on tap in a convenience store. I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, I've seen maybe two or three, you know, taps, uh, small growler operations. This was an entirely different thing. And I had the chance to visit with Kent, uh, see his store. And it was, I've never forgotten. It's one of the neatest convenience stores I've ever visited. Plus, I mean, the restrooms are nicer than what most of us have in our homes. So there's, there's that. So when Al and I started this, we reached out to Kent and wanted him to come on as our first guest and had a chance to record our conversation at the NAC show. 
Yeah, and he's a really interesting character. I think you're gonna uh, you're gonna really enjoy our chat with Kent. So, without wasting any more time, let's just get right into that conversation. Kent, I gotta ask the obvious question right away here. I understand why you flew a chair with balloons attached to it because that sounds fun, and I have no fear of heights. But how'd you get the idea for that? Well, it's uh, it wasn't that difficult. Uh, I stole it from MythBusters. I, there, I watched the episode one uh, one evening, and you know, they they went through the whole process to prove whether a guy could do this or not, and they raised that guy up on uh, on a rope with a bunch of balloons and a lawn chair. They built the whole thing just like I did. Only thing is, they pulled him back down at the end of the show, and they never let him fly. And I thought, how could they do that? You know, it was like I was on pins and needles after the commercial waiting for that to happen. And then they pull him and I go, what? And I thought, so then I started studying a little more to see if it could be done. And I, thought, I think we could do that. So that's why I did it. I mean, because I went back on Google and looked, um, did you do this before the movie Up? And you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not the first. I give credit to be the first. But a guy named Larry Walters did this in the, in the 70s. And this is where the where Mistbusters were trying to prove this theory. It was already proven he did. He just didn't make it very long. So how'd you get your chair down? Well, I don't know what happened to the first chair. We never found it. But uh, the first chair, uh, most people don't know about, but I ended up uh, having to jump out with a parachute I didn't know how to use. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So wait, how, how high up do you think you were? Well, I at that on that original one I went up to right at 15,500 feet but when I jumped out I was down below 3,000 feet and falling fast and uh, I wanted to get rid of everything the parachute and everything and my ground crew none of us had any experience by the way uh, my ground crew kept saying no you've got to jump I said I don't want to jump I'm looking just I'm sitting in a deck chair this isn't a lawn chair even it was just a you know a chair with two arms on it and you (laughs) lean forward and it's just scarier than heck and I said I don't want to jump and they say you've got to jump I said I'm throwing the parachute it'll slow me down and you know and we didn't know what rate of descent I was at because I didn't have a have a uh, GPS that recorded that at that time so uh, we just didn't know how fast we're going so finally I jumped even though I thought I was done for and I said a quick prayer before I left, and uh, they said that I, I, uh, I jumped, by the time I jumped, I was at 2,100 feet, and that I uh, would allow me six seconds. And uh, the experts say I shouldn't have lived, but I, I had a good landing with the parachute. I mean, I, I guess I'm sitting here thinking the highest up I've been, I climbed an 1,100-foot cell phone tower. And uh, so I know what it feels like to literally lean out at 1,100 feet and look down and think, whoa, that's a little high up. You're like three times as high when you jumped. Well, I didn't jump at that rate. I jumped at, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, It was three times as high, but it was a life or death thing. You know, I just didn't know if I could make it or not. How hard I was going to hit the ground at the other rate. I guess guess the question at this point is, so how did your better half feel when you decided, I'm going to do this again? She said no. She said the first time she said I couldn't do it. The second time she said I couldn't do it. And uh, the third time, the fourth time, and the fifth time she said this is the last time. And I think it probably was my last now, time. Now, is the last time because the FAA fined you? That's that what I read. A good part of it. But the m- biggest part is uh, we had uh, some opportunities to do it in other countries where the FAA wouldn't be involved. <laughs> but uh, helium is almost non-existent right now. 
as far as the quantity of helium I would need is way too expensive. Why, why is that? Uh, apparently we re used up the reserves uh, that we ha had stored since uh, World War, we started storing it in World War I and by the end of World War II they realized they didn't really need all this helium, they didn't have a use for it. So they started selling it on the open market at a l very low price. And we'd been using this all these years up until about uh, probably four years ago and at that point um, now they don't have enough production to s supply really even the medical world with helium. I had no idea we were using our, our our birthday balloons were World War II helium? Stored in caverns underground, I think down in uh, Texas or somewhere in the, in the southeast. Wow. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen to Party City now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, it's funny you bring that up because I swear I remember reading an article about how Party City was not doing balloons or something. I'm going to have to get back and Google this another time. But, yeah, I seem to remember hearing about that. Well, but... uh, Australia and China are both uh, apparently working on refining helium. Apparently it is a byproduct of petroleum. And they're working on uh, building refineries because of the demand. Wow. Even the uh, uh, micro semi uh, mark industry uses helium for somewhere in their world, but it's pretty hard to get. The, the last flight, which I did not pay for, was paid for by a guy out of Iraq. He insisted on going, so we did the double chair Thing where I got in all the trouble. <laughs> That's what got me in trouble with the FAA. And uh, he spent uh, $32,000 on helium for that trip, which oh ended gosh. up being a disaster. We got about 90 miles out of it. We we're head. We we're hoping to go to Canada from Oregon, so it would have been a you know a 500-mile trip overnight. And we we really we hit a thunderstorm at, within 70 miles, and then had to kind of crash land that one now ken i'm trying to figure out because uh, on, on a good day i'm not a good driver in a car but i'm trying to figure out how you steer a lawn chair with balloons in it yeah well i guess you're probably wondering when i said we were going to canada because yeah, that's funny. where the winds take you you only go where the winds go but i'll tell you uh i know it sounds crazy yeah but yeah, I, yeah, I will tell you that yeah, when you're in a lawn chair at eighteen thousand feet and you can you can listen to kids on the ground, you can hear their voices, you can hear a cow, a, a cow moo, you can hear a car door slam, a gunshot, which always is disturbing, but, but the other thing is, I was going, the winds would take me up that, at, at that altitude, take me maybe 50 miles an hour, and at 50 miles an hour, I can still have a Kleenex on my lap, it doesn't blow off because I'm going with the wind, and it's really like about a, a wonderful feeling as you can get if you don't look straight down you know it's just like oh look at this and you're just seeing you can kind of see the curvature of the earth it feels like and every, and and you're just everything's perfect nobody's going to run into it 15,000 hopefully so, yeah yeah the well, jets fly higher the airplanes mostly don't fly at that altitude now did they have drones when you were doing this not really no a okay. few helicopters uh tried to follow me they couldn't keep up with my ascent and airplanes uh, didn't want to go up that high, didn't want to stay up that high. And how was the air as far as breathing? Well, uh, after the second trip, I started using oxygen, and uh, it got a lot better. So I'm thinking, did you rig a seat belt up or something on this thing so you didn't fall out? The first time I did, kind of did a rope, just tied a rope, you know, kind of thing across my lap. But That's a DIY. I like that. But uh, it really wasn't necessary. It, uh, I never really got any, until that last trip, we never seen turbulence. In, five, in the four other trips, I never saw any turbulence. I was going with the wind, and I guess it was just fine. But that last trip, we got in, we were having lightning and 
hail hitting us and winds are blowing us all over the place and it, we were hanging on white gripping white knuckling the sides of the church because i said we don't need seat belts and he says we don't okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm thinking uh at some point when the hail is hitting you and the wind is blowing you and you're you're gripping that lawn chair uh are you thinking hey maybe this wasn't a good idea yeah yeah sure was you know back to your point by the view though i think uh, what most of us see is just looking out of the window of an airplane, and oftentimes it's so small, so limited. I, I bet just to have the full range of view around you was absolutely awe-inspiring. It's, it's inspiring, and uh, you know, Eastern Oregon is beautiful. And heading over the Hell's Canyon area of uh, into the uh, first part of Idaho, just gorgeous country. Yeah, speaking of Oregon, the first time I visited your store, um, it's actually my first time in Oregon, believe it or not, and I was just struck by how beautiful the state is. Um, I mean, what a, what a great place to live and work. Yeah, and uh, well, thank you. Thanks for saying that about Oregon. Uh, I won't speak for the full state, but, but Eastern Oregon or Central Oregon where we live is, you know, it's more high desert, and uh, we don't get the rain. We, we hardly get any rain, and I think a lot of folks think of Oregon as that wet, dreary place, but we don't have that on our side of the mountains. So, you know, when I visited your, your store for the first time, one of the things you were telling me about was how, I mean, Oregon, you have to have someone pump gas for you. And the funny thing is, so my sister went out recently and took a trip there for the first time. And she tells me, she's like, I'm going to fill up a, a car. It's late at night and some creepy guy comes up and tries to grab the pump from my hand and then got really upset when I was like, no, I can fill my own gas. What are you doing? And I, I had to laugh because I remember you talking about how negative of an experience that is for a lot of people and how you tried to do something about it. Yeah, so, well, we do live close to the border of Idaho, too, so we do see a lot of tourists coming through from, from Idaho. And, um, but, you know, the average Oregonian has never pumped gas in their life unless they left the state. Wow. And they don't know the difference. And they, they, they're afraid. I would believe there's men that are afraid <laughs> to pump gas because it, it's all confusing and don't, we don't understand it. Uh, so, so for the average Native American, uh, Native Oregonian, it's, uh, they wouldn't know what to do about it anyway. But the tourists coming in, like your, your sister, that's a, that's a challenge for them. Uh, however, we're relaxing the law in the last uh, year or so. We've uh, some of the smaller communities now can pump offer self-service at certain times uh, after six o'clock, or in small communities you can do it anytime. Uh, but it hasn't become very popular yet. Well, the people who pump the gas are these specially trained people with some type of certificate, or I mean, what do you have to do to be able to pump gas in, in Oregon? <laughs> well, it's, there's nothing to it. You just we just train them, there's very little. We have to do a little training on propane, probably as it would be in any other state, but for fuel, we don't, we don't there's no training. And uh, it's, it is, as you know, pretty darn easy. Yeah. So uh, the rest of the world knows that. But uh, for us, uh, we saw it, I came to NAX, uh, I don't remember what year I started coming to NAX, it's probably about 2000. And uh, it was a great time in my life, in my career. I was so young and hungry for, to learn. And it was interesting, I never forget, they said, you've got to separate yourself from the cookie cutter uh, convenience store. And at that time, Shell had lots, I was a Shell dealer, but they had lots and lots of their own stations and Chevron owned a lot of theirs. And uh, they were little, if you remember them, they're just little boxes, yeah. you know, they never thought anything. And that to me was the cookie cutter that I wanted no part of. So I came back and I thought, we're gonna do something about that. And one of the first things we did was, uh, we, we, we built a big billboard in, in our 
that lasted for a while. We had to put it on wheels because it was illegal to have a billboard. So it said, welcome back to old-fashioned service. And then I bought a Model T and I put it on top of the billboard with a, a mannequin in it and, and then a guy pumping his gas. And uh, that drew so much attention. People started coming in and we put everybody in white hats, white shirts, black belt, white pants, and black shoes. They still wear the same today. Wow. And uh, they, they got the little white hats with the little pointed, you know, like, and, uh, and we... We do a lot to build that, and uh, even during a, a slow times, our volumes is still maintained through the, the last recession. Uh, it, it maintained. I think a lot of it is credited to uh, just separating ourselves and coming to NACS and listening to what they had to say and applying it. Another thing that we did that was completely out of the box was uh, we put a beer cave in. We made it look like a cave. So we, made, we brought a person in, and you know they used foams and wire mesh and concrete, and made it all look like a real cave. And it's, it's, it's not like a, a door with concrete rock on it. It's a full cave where you walk into. And, um, and the guys, the beer distributors were just scared spitless, thought I was stupid, <laughs> Be- begged me not to do it. Right in the middle of it, they said, don't do this. You're, you have great sales. What are you doing? And I mean, we had 35% beer increase sales for several, several years. I would say 10, 12 years, we never had a decrease and we still haven't had a decrease in beer sales and we we sell more beer out of our store than our the majors do even they claim that we we equal or sometimes we'll outsell a costco who's right across the street wow so we sell a lot of beer packaged beer out of there and it, and it all came from you know well, what we're going to do to separate ourselves from our competitor what are we going to do to stand apart do you, do you sense that customers like the experience of going in a cave yeah, I think so. I think so. Most of our guys have been doing it for, you know, for 15 years now, so they're pretty used to it. The new people walk in once in a while and go, what the heck? Or they'll say, where is the beer? And say, well, you got to go in there. Oh. Does it have a door? How do you keep it refrigerated? Well, we use just a plastic curtain. Oh, cool. Okay. So you can see in. Wow. Yeah. I like that. You know, kids love caves. You know, yeah. you grow up, you, you know, it's like, you know, you like trains when you're a kid. You know, you're going to grow up and you like trains. And, you know, I, I could see that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It yeah. sounds like fun. Now, when I visited uh, your store, I mean, the thing that caught my attention right away, of course, were all the types of beer on tap. I, I, I mean, would you have around 40 types pretty close? Yeah, we've got four, uh, 36 taps of beer, and we've got uh, 21 taps right today, which we've expanded since you've been there, of, of kombucha, kombucha and then CBD products. Yeah, how, um, how is the uh, 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 CBD performing? Well, Has that been well accepted? Our... So if you add them all together, I think we're in the 60 taps. And out of the 60 taps, one of the CBDs is our number one tap of all taps. So it outsells the beer and everything, this particular CBD. That's incredible. Now, so, now the CBD on tap, what is that? Is that a tea? Is that a beer? What is that? It's, it's just a... Uh, kind of like a water or something? Yeah, yeah, it's just... You know, it's, oh, they, well, I mean, we got cola flavored CBD, and this, this one is a citrus. Like, uh, our number one is uh, uh, a lemon, lemon citrus, and uh, folks really like it. Now, is, is the With amount ginger of, in it. It's a ginger lemon citrus. Is it at all regulated as far as percentage of, uh, you know, whatever's in it? I imagine so, but. Uh, yeah, because you guys have a little bit more freedom to sell that in Oregon than we do yeah. in some of the other states. Yeah, I'm wondering what's going to happen with it. You know, you, the laws are really, they're really starting to catch hold on this thing and wondering how long it'll actually be legal. And uh, so far as I know, you know, kids can come in and get this. Mm-hmm. So it's not even behind the counter like our beer is. 
our beer taps are. Yeah, well, I was actually really impressed with how you did the beer taps because I remember looking at them, and I mean, maybe it's changed, but the way it was when I was there is you had sort of a standard uh, nondescript handle or tap, but then you put all the information about the beer on the screen behind it, which made it really easy to change out a keg quickly. And I thought that was was brilliant. I mean, I've worked in a restaurant before, and you see how, I mean, if you got to change a keg or change your type of beer, it can be a bit of a process, especially if you're unscrewing a handle and having to find a new one. And do you do you still operate it that way? Oh, yeah. That, that's the best part of the whole business is we, we created the software in the background that does all of that. And we have a, we take pictures of the tap handles way ahead of time and then we we three we make them look three-dimensional put them on the screen so that the vendor uh the, the distributor does not have to provide you with they give us one tap panel well since then we franchise this out to 15 stores and so uh now he'll give us one tap panel we we take an image of it send it back to him and th- and then after that uh we have that in our catalog and uh, you know there's there's thousands and thousands of beers out there today and we never keep the same ones on so it's a continual motion of of doing this and it's the only way to really do it and within that then we built a software system that tells the uh, our employee all about that beer so that when it, when we pour a tap they can punch on the screen and it says this is a saison from uh northern idaho by this brewery and it's a light whatever and uh so it edu- allows the employee to educate the customer ra- real quickly if they aren't up to speed on each one because those kegs are those those kegs are turning over several times a week each tap handle turns over and so you got to be moving it all the time and the beers there you know as you know the, the growth in the craft beer just continues to grow and grow and there's there seems to be no end to new beers Oh, it's gotten so popular, even at home in Iowa. I mean, we have craft breweries popping up all the time, seemingly everywhere, and Same it's, it's just booming. Well, are you are you are you seeing a, a diminishing of loyalty towards the the traditional beer brands? That's what got us into it. We were scared to death of the volume that we had of beer, and we thought we're going to lose it to these. All of a sudden, our town popped up with uh, at the time twelve breweries, and we thought people aren't going to quit going to quit coming in here to our beer cave so we come up with this idea but it never happened our beer our our beer sales now uh, as you know the uh the domestic beers are just dying rapidly the budweiser's and coors of the world and the millers just aren't doing what they used to do those skews have continued to drop but the but the bottled and canned craft beer has exploded in our category so when you walk into our i notice here in fact uh very few craft beers on their uh, in their shelves. Uh, a quick trip I went to earlier or last night, but um, you know they only had like three doors of beer. I'm thinking, and we have like uh, a, if you counted the beer cave, it'd be equal to 20 doors of beer. Wow. I would imagine, and most of them are craft beers. So the the consumer has really moved to the craft beers. They they move around within the craft beer quite a bit, but. They're not, they don't seem to be going backwards to the uh, domestic beers. I had a brewer tell, uh, we, we have a lot of craft uh, brew companies back home, and, and he said that they're constantly trying to find new flavors because uh, the new beer, beer drinkers, the millennials, I suppose, are, are not latching on to a certain type of beer or a certain brand of beer, not staying loyal to it. So they're constantly coming up with new uh, ideas for beer because he said, seems to be you know they he said the joke is it's the flavor of the month because they're you know one month uh, and you know no one wants your beer anymore they want something else yeah it's gotten 
surprising how what they're infusing beer with. At, at one time in in Oregon, we had a brewery got real popular with a a beer that they they got the yeast from a guy's beard. It sounds gross, but wow. it, it happened. <laughs> wow, I can't. I bet. And it did well. It was called Rogue. You might even have heard of Rogue Rogue Brewery out here. The yeast from a guy's beard is that? Oh, is that it's sanitary? Isn't it? Oh my God! I know it. Wow. And and like, was the guy's picture on the beer? No. Oh uh, my God! If they were getting it out of my beard, I'd certainly want something. <laughs> I know. You know. Oh my God! I, I, I'm wondering what was growing in his beard that. Uh, they have CBD infused beer. You guys probably know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's just getting crazy out there. What's going on in the beer? You know, world. and I, speaking of CBD, I'm always amazed at just the difference from state to state on this. So here we are at the NAC show. And did you go to the CBD section? I did. I mean, I had to go through a special entrance. No sampling could be done anywhere there. Um, I wanted to go sample products and see how things were tasting. And um, I mean, they had some neat some neat suppliers there actually but and then i'm thinking i could just walk into a store in oregon and just go buy what i want um it's a completely different atmosphere so what is what is what does it do i mean what what is the the reaction you have when you drink cbd beer so i mean is it- well for most folks that are using it, at least in my generation it's for uh anti-inflammatory and it helps so they got we we are in our store we sell quite a bit of the rub which, you know, if you got a bad knee or a sore elbow or something, you rub it on there. And, and I, I'm not sure where I heard it at the show this week. Oh, it was in a, I was in that one uh, seminar. And uh, they said that one, one neighbor will say to the other one, you got to try this. It's, it's healing everything. And it does for him. And the next neighbor says it didn't do one thing for me. So it's kind of uh, strange how the speaker said that it just affects different people differently. I've seen that same thing personally. I, I was I went to the pharmacy that I use all the time, and there was a CBD oil. This is before we, it was available in Louisiana, then it wasn't, now it's back. But this lady said, you got to try this, you know? And this the lady standing at the counter, she said, oh my God, this is like a miracle. So I bought it, I, and nothing happened. Nothing it, happened to me. I bought the oil, I drank the oil, I, you know, rubbed the stuff, you know, and... So it's, uh, I, it seems to be, you know, kind of inconsistent, I suppose. I think uh, if it continues to grow, oh, yeah, if it continues to grow, I think you're going to have to look at the percentages on it, just like you yeah. would anything. But they, this speaker said that now you're going to be looking for, you've got to be looking for CBG and CBN. See, like, and I never uh, even heard of it. Honestly, I... That's getting too complicated for the general oh, yeah. consumer. And the thing that worries me about it, honestly, is it's kind of like what happened with the supplements market where you're, you don't really know if it has what it says it has or yeah, what the quality what I, right. is. And um, I mean, because you've got some of the CBDs that look super high quality. You've got some that show up in kind of sketchy vape shops. You've got, and unless you've just absolutely researched this brand and know everything about their production cycle and all of this, you don't really know what's in there. I, I mean, the honest truth is, if you were getting something that has THC in it, you're because it's psychoactive, you're going to know if it did what it says it's supposed to do or not. But with CBD, you know, and, and the subtle like pain relief and all the other things, I feel like it's hard for consumers to evaluate what they're really getting. And what worries me is um, it could turn people off to a good category of products who might have like arthritis or need some pain management because they bought something that says it has X amount of CBD and it doesn't have any. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I feel like it's just a lot of work for consumers. Mm-hmm. It, is. it is. Yeah, it's, I, I assume at some point this thing's going to even out and everybody's going to know what's in it. Because I know in Louisiana, uh, we're, it's CBD is now available, stores are opening up, things like that. 
we had our first medical marijuana store open in, in our area, if I'm not mistaken. So, And I know that uh, we did a story last week on uh, uh, this cannabis cafe that just opened up hmm. in California, I think. So, I mean, everything's changing in that. And I, 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 at some point, they've got to let consumers know what's in what and what's it going to do. And, you know, I would love to rub something on my store knee and have it work. You know, I would hmm. love that. So speaking of beer, I got to ask, like, how'd you get the idea to put that many growlers in a convenience store? I mean, that's not something you see every day. Well, you know, originally we put it, uh, we, we, we didn't know what we were doing, but we're the first growler station in the nation. We, we pretty much sure we, wow. we are. And uh, so when we did this, we put uh, 12 taps and we put it over by that beer cave, Frank, that you might remember. And, uh, and the word got out really quick and the store just got jam packed. People couldn't navigate the registers. They couldn't get into the beer cave. Wow. And so we said, Whew, we got to do something. Well, at the time, we had a uh, barbecue on this other side of the store where we had this uh, QSR look. And so we quickly decided to eliminate the QSR. There had to be more money in beer. The reason why we, only had, we had 12 taps over there, because we had 12 breweries. And we thought, well, if we get each a beer from each one of them, we'd be good. Well, that's not the case. You know, each brewery's got multiple beers. And... Then every other brewery wanted in on the deal. So then, uh, so that's when we uh, decided we'd move over. And then, so then we, we got it all lined up and it's like, we can't handle all these tap handles that you were referring to. We had boxes and boxes of tap handles and every time a beer came in, we'd put a new tap on them. But the, nobody ever took the old beer tap handles. So then we were just piling up, piling up. We said, it's gotta be something better. And this is way too much work and we couldn't explain how many ABVs, how many IBUs were in them. So, uh, and the pricing was difficult, so we had a friend who uh, come up with this whole menu system, who ended up being our partner in the Growler Guys in the end. Yeah, I thought the menu was brilliant. It was so easy just to like look and see everything about every beer you had, and I, I really liked your Crowler system. Um, I thought that was ingenious, and I, honestly, it's like four, four years after visiting, and then I start seeing them showing up in Iowa, and I'm like, I mean, I saw this four years ago in a convenience store in Oregon, guys. Like, you're a little late to the party here. Yeah. Um, but it was cool because I remember you sent me back to the uh, show I was going to with a few crawlers, and I just, that was a cool system. Yeah, the, cra- the crawler has been our success. You know, the growler, uh, as it started out, was a big hit. But everybody ended up with multiple growlers in their homes. But what do you do with this glass jug? You know, uh, 64 ounces of, of beer anyway. When you do take it home, you're going to wish by the end of the night you hadn't taken home a full 64 ounces. So the, the crawler came along, which sealed it, and we could CO2 purge into it so that uh, the life on the crawler could hold for months, where the growler really only held even, we CO2 purged it, and it still only had a life of maybe 10 days. Once you opened it, you had about a, really a 24 hours to drink that beer down. And uh, so... The crawler really became what we're known for. And to explain the crawler. The crawler is a, and by the way, we got the crawler system idea from Oscar Blues, a brewery back, back in the Midwest. I, I think it's Midwest. Uh, well, actually out of Colorado, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, and uh, they sold us the uh, machine that did it and the cans. Uh, so uh, you just take a can and you, you know, you got all your taps, a customer comes up, you sample them, they sample, sample, sample. Oh, I like that one. Okay, great. We'll fill you up one. And then uh, you fill it up, uh, shoot it with some CO2 first so that there's no oxygen is going to be in there. Then when you fill it up, 
the beer close to the rim, there's still a layer of CO2 there, and then you pop your lid on, and the machine seams it. And then you pop, peel the, the lid back just like any beer can. So it's it's you're making custom beer in your store, sort of beer can yeah. beer six pack. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty cool. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, and it's kind of nice because I sampled a bunch of beers at your store, and I'm like, I kind of like to try a few, take a few of these back to the resort and enjoy them there, you yeah. know. But if you have a 64 ounce growler, that's a lot of beer. Even a you know really even a 32 ounce growler is a lot of beer for one person. <laughs> yeah. With the ABVs of of a uh, a lot of these craft beers are running, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten, even eleven percent. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a funny story. I uh, went with a local brewery that does, um, well, it's actually a ginger beer that has alcohol in it. And there's two of them. They taste about the same. One of them, I think, is around like 5%. The other is like almost 14%. Jeez. And a uh, family member grabbed the one that was 14 and thought it was the lower one. So wow. those things can sneak up on you if you're not careful. <laughs> You learn anything new with that family member? <laughs> I, I don't know if she'll uh, let me recommend a beer again. <laughs> but, no, I, I thought that was really neat. And do you, do you find that guys, like, just get off work and just come in and grab a crowler and grab a can and go home? Well, uh, well you know, in order for us to get this license, because it's never been done before, this license for a gas station to have beer, at least in the state of Oregon at the time. And so uh, the only way we could ever get the license, it was a pe- we pestered and pestered our liquor commission and finally got it after a couple years of you know we had this idea for a couple years before they finally come up with a way to do it and uh you had that meant we had to be able to sell pints in the store and we had to have a food program with it so uh, we sell pints in the store so kind of it's kind of a, a mismatch because guys come in they love to come in and just sit down you know we don't have that big of an area and they'll come in and sit down and start drinking pints well there's one problem with that is they take up parking spots. So I'm getting, uh, I'm selling a $4 pint, making, you know, a couple bucks on it, maybe two and a half bucks. But then I have to, sometimes I wonder what that parking spot valued at. So that's never, we've always wondered if we, we want to get out of selling pints inside, but uh, we've never been able to do it based on the, the license. But the guys, the guys get off work, like you say, they come in, they get their beer and they take off. But it's become a lot more than that. Like for holidays, for any holiday, you know, we're the go-to place, the big games and things. You know, we, we do a lot of social marketing nowadays, and we're able to really uh, reach a lot of people. We have a program called Five Stars, uh, which uh, helps reach people, you know, builds our uh, social community. And with that, they gain points, of course. It's a, it's, you know, it's a reward program, and they gain points when they come in. So... Uh, we can reach out to a lot of them, and then we get a lot of cross sales over to the store that way. That's neat. Yeah, pretty cool. Very cool. Um, so you you've got to have food to be able to sell beer in your store. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to sell beer by the uh, open can, in a glass. Okay, and a pint. Well, the liquor laws are so different across this country. Yeah. It's uh, in my home state. We have drive-through daiquiri places. Oh yeah. You drive up and you get a daiquiri and. You know, then drive home. I don't understand that. It never happened in our state. Yeah, it's, we're a festive um, state. We have Mardi Gras, things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and then it, well, then you go to states like Indiana, where they regulate the sale of beer based on the temperature at the point of sale, and you know, which is kind of funny. It's like, oh, you can't, you can, you can't buy cold beer in a convenience store, um, and it's like, well, why? I mean, you can go buy cold beer at a bar. I mean. It's uh, it's entirely bizarre. No, state to state's always crazy. But or certain days you can't buy beer on Sunday, in oh, some yeah. states. 
you know, and then I'm oh, coming wow. from Iowa where you can buy just about any kind of liquor in a convenience store. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they don't seem to care too much, but are you still doing pizza at your store? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, uh, I didn't get to try, but I thought your pizza looked fan- fantastic. I mean, you said you had an oven that like cooks it at what, like 800 or a thousand degrees yeah, or something? Well, it was, yeah, 700 and something. So where we're cooking it. We, we tried, it's actually supposed to be 800, but the time we actually cook it, it's in the 700s. So, wow. you know, one of the things I really liked about your store is, I mean, you're showing me all these amazing things, but you keep running into folks that you know by name um, at your store. And I, you know, speaking purely as a consumer, it's always so nice when someone knows your name. I think what's tough with some of the larger chains sometimes is all the turnover. So you get to know somebody and then like three months later, they're gone and they're replaced by someone you've never seen before. And it's like you want it to be a community store, but it's hard for it to be one when there's always different people there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, every every independent guy's got to love this, you know, to talk about this, because being an independent, you are the store, you know, you're the helm of the store. And every day people come in and you build relationship after, you know, I've been there 20 some years. You know, you've got a lot of long-term relationships, and those people are creatures of habit. You know, convenience store guys, the same guy comes in for gas in the morning, and his breakfast sandwich comes back for a can of snus, and then comes back for his beer in the evening. I mean, we see, sometimes see the same guy three or four times in a day, and and we have 3,000 people a day in and out of the store. And and after a while, you, you know, you're, you get to know a lot of people. And I think that's one of the funnest things about the business. And it's easy to do your research. You just ask them, hey, Dave, what, what about this? What about this? What are you disappointed in? Uh, you know, how's service? Give us a quick review. We'll give you a free, free pint of beer or something, you know? It's pretty easy when you're in our, I, I love the, the industry as an independent. I don't know what I'd feel like as a chain, if I was in a chain environment. I worked for large uh, grocery store format 20 some years before this, and I loved it until I got into this business. And I thought, boy, I was crazy to even be in that business. So how, how'd you switch from working in grocery to working in convenience? Uh, well, how I switched was just simply a change of life. And, uh, and when I did make, the, I didn't want to be in the convenience store business. I looked down upon it from the grocery business. But you know, uh, after I left a really good income and without really thinking about what I was gonna do next, I found out there, I really wasn't eligible to do much else. Nobody wanted me. And uh, so I thought, well, uh, except for the retail business. I wanted out of retail. And so I tried to go into construction. I was like, well, I can't make a living doing this. I can't raise a family doing this. So finally I said, fine, I'm not going back into the grocery store. So I'll, somebody suggested this and that's how I fell into it, not because I wanted to, but because it was a uh, you know, last ditch effort to make a good living. And I, I, I pity the people that I know that are still doing, working for where, where I came from because uh, they can't imagine what it's like to get up and go to work and be in an environment that you can change so quick. Anything you want to do to change, to make things better, to buy a new product, to uh, create a new idea, it's all right there and it's just right there at your fingertips to, to attempt to try. You, you know, with a little common sense, you can't screw it up. You know, <laughs> 
you know, and that makes me think one of the last times that I that we had run into each other, I was talking about your how much I love the restrooms at your store, and you came up and you're like, hey, I've already renovated them again. Yeah. Well, that was because I heard I saw what you you showed me pictures of what some of those other guys were doing. I love. I, by the way, I've still got fresh cut flowers in there, and I think about you every time I see <laughs> oh. those things. <laughs> you know, but I I thought it was the coolest thing because like when I started getting into this industry, I mean, you were one of the first stores that I really got to visit that was recommended to me by somebody. You know, we had a mutual friend at Nax. I told him I was going out to your town, and he goes, oh, I've got someone you've got to meet. And so I go in this store, and you had like old like metal beer logos all over the hallway by the restrooms or stickers or something. I mean, it looked edgy and cool and trendy. Um, it just, everything about it was fun, but the restrooms were so incredibly nice. And I mean, I know we talk all about dirty restrooms, but it is like such an under it's a horrible problem in the industry. It's like, if you're going to do food, if you're going to do anything and you go in a restroom and it's filthy, it just says that this store doesn't care about you. This store just doesn't even want to bother cleaning a restroom for you. And it sends the wrong message. And I mean, yours were not just nice. They were nicer than what some people have in their homes. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we've recognized it forever that we wanted, we're always asking ourselves, how do we get the woman customer? How do we get the female? Cause we were, you know, we're a blue collar, Bubba store. We always were. And we wanted those gals. And the women wouldn't come in. You know, vacationers would come through and try us. Once we got those restrooms up to snuff and made sure that they were, you know, we do an hourly inspection on them and, and people get chewed out if they don't get their inspection done. Uh, maybe even lose a job because it's important to us. And uh, you get those repeat customers that always stop by. And uh, my wife's the same way. We, go, we know where we're going to stop for a restroom stop when we're traveling out of town. But Frank, you've done a lot for us in that area. You brought to light that a few years ago and uh, uh, how important it is and, to, and explain to the industry, uh, I think at NAX one year, how important it was in, in your travels. Pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, and we actually um, started started to get some data behind that too, which is interesting to see that places with cleaner restrooms were actually driving more visits or just cleaner stores in general. But you know, one of the things I think comes up a lot is like we all know, especially with some of the chain stores, there's there's some that really prioritize restroom cleanliness and just seem to make it work. But then there's others that just can't seem to make it work. Like, where is that tipping point? Like, how does how does someone actually just get it done consistently on a regular basis? Is it, is it just that they hold their employees to the expectation to do it? Is it, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to figure that out. It has to become a culture. And, you know, when, I think when you go into a, a, a gas station restroom and, it's, and it smells and it, uh, it, you know, it's not tidy, it just sends a whole message about the whole store. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I've had, I had a nurse tell me once, if the restroom's not clean, I'm not going to eat in the store. I'm not going to buy anything. So I'm just going to walk out. Yeah. I mean, Al, you were telling a story. Actually, I think this was one of your presentations at Max. But um, you said that there was an individual you know who owns a single store. And they said they watch, and families will roll up in a van. They'll send the dad in, and he'll go inspect the restroom. And then the rest of the family either comes in or drives away. Absolutely. And, and you know, this is a, a store up in... Um I think New Hampshire, and and she said she started noticing this that it's it, and it, she likened it to the uh, the prehistoric hunter gatherer that the <laughs> the male parks the SUV, gets out, the family stays in the car, uh, the dad comes in, goes straight to the restroom, comes back out. She witnesses a conversation with the family, and they're talking, heads nod, and then doors open, the kids are unstrapped, the you know from all that. And she said, you know, <clears throat> as a mom, <clears throat> she said she doesn't want to 
get a kid out of a car seat and go into a dirty restroom and then have to walk out. Yeah. No, because getting kids out of car seats, it's a lot of extra work. And, uh, and she said that happens all the time, you know. And so, you know, if, if, if the men's room is clean, obviously they suppose the women's restroom is going to be clean as well. You know, uh, we, we started something in, uh, using this program. I think yeah, I've seen it. I caught it out of an airport. And it's called Happy or Not. And it's a kiosk, little kiosk. And you just, we put it by the door and it gives you, you know, the happy, happy if you're happy with the bathrooms, if you're so, so happy, if you're not. And uh, every day I get a report. No, here today, I looked to see, I was at an 85. 85% of my people thought I was great. There was 15% did not. And I wanted to, so then I just shoot back, what happened to our score, you know, to our manager to find out what's going on. And then it, that thing tracks it down to the hour. And then we get on our camera system and then go look to see who pushed the button. Because they always like to blame it. Well, some little guy just sat there and pushed the unhappy button four times. I said, well, let's just find out. And then we have to go dig it up and find out. But we, we actually go to the detail to figure out who's the one that pushed the button. Was it a guy, a gal, and why? And what bathroom was it? Because we have two unisex bathrooms. So then we can track it down to the bathroom and then try to figure out who's, who was on shift. Because a certain, like the... The growler guys are supposed to uh, clean the bathrooms up four to five, and then the deli's supposed to clean them five to six. And we track it by hour. We get it down to a science to try to figure out what happened. Why That's did they press that button? That's a great idea. You it's know, it's not a great idea. It's a lot of work, and they charge you. <laughs> they charge you monthly for the program. But uh, I got that at Nax. Just another Nax idea. I was at a McDonald's in Texas, a little town in Texas, and when I walked out, there was a switch, like a light switch, and it said, "If the restroom's not clean, flick the switch on." And that was so simple, but I, you know, I thought I'd never seen that in a McDonald's before. It's obviously something the owner came up with, but it was so smart and so simple. I'm actually really curious for your opinion on something. You know, I see some retailers, they'll try to put up a sign that says, you know, like they want you to tell them if the restroom's bad, but, and I've never seen any data, any research on this, but I feel like people don't want to tell anyone that they don't like it. They want to do it anonymously and they don't want to be that person because I honestly, I feel bad because I'm thinking, Maybe there's an overworked uh, attendant at the convenience store, and they've got other things to do. And the last thing they want to do is have some guy come up and be like, yeah, your bathroom's dirty. Can you go clean it? But if you can press a button, if you can um, say, I just didn't like it, you just it's a little easier to not be confrontational. Um, I think you just have to go further than putting up a sign that says, let us know if there's a problem. Oh, obviously, because I think the owner wants to know, but the staff may not want to know. No, it's yeah, and it's deeper, like Frank says. It's a lot deeper on... What's going on in your store? And when, when the one person calls in and that causes a domino effect, when the, and then that person ends up doing something else and that person ends up doing something, the last thing probably on the list is going to be the bathrooms. But it doesn't happen in my store, but I bet it does in a lot of stores. And I can understand how, how it happens. But if our manager has to do that if, the, uh, if nobody else does it, because we're not going to miss an hour on cleaning. But, but I can see the problem with it. And I... I I don't. Th- I I would be embarrassed for myself if somebody comes up and tells me my bathrooms are dirty. You know, it's embarrassing. Actually, I've had it happen a couple of times where someone said, "I thought you might want to know," and it's embarrassing. Man, we're, we're right in there. You know, and, and it's, you know, it doesn't take anything for somebody to make a mess in there. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes people do it on purpose. They'll go in and just kind of dump things upside down in there. I guess they'll take our steal our flowers and throw them in the garbage. They'll uh, they'll you know some kids or something, but. We don't let it get us, get us down. We just keep marching to the same order of we win our customers by clean restrooms and a clean store. How do you de- how do you deal with wear and tear in a restroom? Because you know you've got hundreds of people going through there every day. Uh, 
you know, uh, porcelain's going to wear out, faucets are going to wear out, they're going to not be shiny. How, how do you deal with that? Well, probably a lot of, like a lot of the guys, you know, as soon as we see the problem, we fix it. As soon as somebody puts one piece of graffiti on, in that, on that wall uh, or on that mirror, we replace the mirror. We just replace them. We don't, we don't have a... Uh, and the, the guy that, the company that provides our, uh, you know, our covers for our toilet paper and our paper towels and stuff, he knows that if he wants my account, he's probably built the price right into it now because he knows he can't, I'm not going to tolerate any little scratches on this because if you get the scratch, that creates more scratches. Next thing you know, you got a whole darn graffiti artillery sitting around in there. So, yeah, yeah don't yeah. you feel it's like once you let one thing go, it just sets the, the tone for everybody else that, oh, yeah, you can write on these walls. It's no big deal. It's not clean. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and you start feeling dirty when you're in there. You know, everything's got to be... Oh, yeah. Everybody's, everything's got to be perfect. And I'm not saying we're perfect every moment either, by the way. It happens, you know, but um, uh, I think we're the, we score the high... Shell, one of the things about Shell, too, is, by the way, uh, I'm a Shell dealer. And one of the... They don't ask a lot out of us in our stores, but the one thing they do ask for is clean restrooms. So I've never had a... I've had a perfect score with them for as many years as I've been with them. And also, uh, they're willing to put money into it. If, if I go buy new, new flooring, new sinks, they reimburse me for them. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. They recognize amazing. the value of it. I know when I visit a, a store, if I'm going to write about the food, I go to the restroom, open up every stall, go inside, look around, because I want to see what it looks like. And I, I've told people before, I said, you know, keep your restrooms clean because some idiot like me may come in and visit every single stall. And then, you know, if it's clear, go in the women's restroom and check that out, too. I'm okay. sure I'll get arrested for that one day. But, you know, I'm surprised. At, I was in this great place, great food, great restaurant. And when I, one of the stalls had graffiti in it. But, and, and I don't know if it was gang graffiti, but, you know, that kind of graffiti that looks like gang graffiti. That was in there. I was very disappointed in that. You know, very disappointed. Well, we had done one on a road trip a few years ago. And, I mean, these guys had their own proprietary barbecue rub. I mean, they were the real deal. They put some serious thought into this food and were, you could tell, it was a passion project. And, I mean, we go in the restroom and the door was on a single hinge tilted to the side. And just, I mean, you could smell the restroom was disgusting. And I'm like, why why did they put all that effort into into this but not this? And I, I just think the answer might be they just, it's always been dirty because it's a gas station and it's always going to be dirty because it's a gas station yeah and it's they a restroom just, you know yeah. I think it's, a lot of people think that way they don't even yeah. think about that being um something that they should really be differentiating on i'm, I'm always go- waiting for frank to tell me what's next what can what level can we take our restrooms to next what have you seen out there <laughs> you you know i'll be honest I, I mean yours is always one of my favorites i i it's awesome but something that caught my attention uh for a very different reason is what sat started doing with her mom approved restrooms so i'm driving down it was paul allen's store in uh down in springfield uh my fiance and i were driving down to go see a store and um there's a you turn at harrisonville now i remember getting off that exit because they always had a pyro city there just a kind of a, it was a rundown station uh for years but had the best fireworks selection and i love fireworks so i'd spend some time in there well this time i see a billboard i mean that just has like almost like a stock image of a lady doing two enthusiastic thumbs up and it says mom approved restrooms and they have a sparkling new sap bros travel center there and i mean it's a truck stop and i mean I could talk for a long time about what these guys are doing right at the store. I mean, because they think of everything, everything that they can improve and just do differently. But it's a simple thing to just, the restrooms are great. 
They had uh, someone checking all the stalls while I was there, even though I didn't see anything out of order, anything that looked even remotely bad. It, it was just a sparkling clean modern restroom, but they had heated heated seats, bidets, all that stuff. But they had a separate family restroom. Um, I mean, I've actually had um, I have a pr- uh, friend who you know writes for like a local like women's blog uh, or, or parenting blog, and she asked one time, "Where do I stop if I'm driving to as a certain city uh, for a changing table?" Because that causes her a tremendous amount of anxiety as a parent of a young child. So here's Sat Bros, a truck stop, um, creating a very specific high-end family restroom right in, in between the male and the female. And I, I just thought, what a great idea. You know, we saw, Frank and I were in Texas, and uh, a place called Prosics on the interstate, I-10, has uh, a family restroom, and there's a big toilet and a tiny toilet for the kid. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. But if you want an idea, uh, what was the place in California we stopped? I can't remember the name of that place. It's called the Disney World of Gas Stations. And when you... Oh, Eddie World. Eddie yeah. World. And you, this is kind of innovative. You may want to try this. They, when you when you put your hand on the uh, doorknob the, 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 to open it, there's a piece of plastic in it, on it. And when you, you let go and you go in or you go out or whatever, the a machine turns the plastic so you no one else touches that yeah. except you. Ah, that was very clever. I've seen toilet seats like that that just keep yeah. spinning. Yeah. The, the, I saw uh, at a restaurant that I told myself, I, do I have the guts to do? But they had every, instead of paper towels, they had cloth towels sitting there you wow. know, in nice little stacks. And I thought, why I have to buy it hundreds of cloth, I rent hundreds of cloth towels every week for our, for our deli. You know, and for the gas station guys carry a, a rag with them. So I thought, how much more would it cost just to have these nice little folded towels, maybe even on a warmer, you know? That's actually so cool you notice that because, like, when you go to, um, oh man, there was a place in Minneapolis I went to some years ago. We went to see, uh, like, a little concert, and um, was it the St. Paul Grill? It, it a really fancy, kind of old school uh, Italian restaurant bar. And went into the restroom and it was exactly that same setup. They had these individually rolled towels and you put them in a little um, slot that has a hamper underneath. It just felt so classy. Well, you know, Frank's staying yeah. at a hotel nice. here in, uh, in Atlanta and uh, the paper towels in the restroom uh, at your hotel, very nice, very quality towel. Felt It, it felt like cotton, but you know, it, it was very, very high quality paper towel in there. And, and they were folded. They didn't come out of a machine. So speaking, speaking of restrooms, though, something I think that's, is, is really neat is how you're on the board of an anti-human trafficking organization. Um, you know, you're the one that introduced me to the work that In Our Backyard is doing. Sure. And sure. I thought this was the most brilliant idea. So for, I mean, anyone who, who doesn't know, the way it was explained to me is a convenience store restroom is one of the few places that a victim of human trafficking can actually get privacy from their handlers because they have to go in and use the restroom, and sometimes that's where they'll, they'll take them. So if you can put some kind of information or a phone number or anything that they might need to get to safety, you actually stand a chance of maybe getting someone to safety by doing that. Um, how, how did you get involved with that? Because I think that's absolutely fascinating. Well, you said it just right. Uh, that's true from what the studies show. And uh, convenience stores all over the country now have adopted the uh, In Our Backyard program just because they recognize they can make a difference with very little effort. Uh, in this case, uh, what In Our Backyard does is they provide you with a, a sticker uh, that you put on your in your stall walls or your bathroom, wherever you can, and it gives the victim a, a number to text and to get help, to make that first step to get help. 
and they've 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 uh, saved a lot of folks already. They they uh, and uh, some of the big chains. You know, if you get a big chain to adopt this, you can make a lot of difference out there. And uh, in my case, you asked how I got a hold of it. I didn't think it was happening. Well, I knew the lady that founded this, and uh, she, we were visiting, and I said, she asked me if she could put them in our restrooms. Well, I don't want stickers in my restrooms, because one sticker just leads to another, and a sticker is one of those prime places where they, you'll get graffiti. So last thing I did is really want a sticker, but I couldn't tell her no. You know, we were in a Bible study together when she asked me. I'm not going to tell her no. So... Uh, so anyway, uh, you got to put it in a frame, right? Yeah, so I did. I put it in a frame and <laughs> put it idea. on the wall. And uh, so I thought, I'll, I'll do it. You know, and her name's Nita Bells, by the way, and uh, and she's here at Nax, and she's an ambassador for for that cause. And she, her group does a great job. Well, anyway, uh, I knew we have a, a nice comfort inn behind us. It's a nice uh, medium medium uh, hotel, and uh, I've never seen a foul thing go on there, and it's right in our backyard of our store. So uh, she said, well, you probably have that going on in your store. I said, I didn't want to embarrass her, so I said, I, but I go, I'm thinking, no, no, not here. We got a really great bunch of customers, and I've never once seen a prostitute in my store. So uh, anyhow, uh, like within two weeks, someone had ripped the frame off the wall, had took part of the wall with it because they were so wanted to get it off the wall. I screwed wow. it. I screwed it in. I didn't just hang it. I screwed it in. <coughs> feared something might happen to it. And I dug it out of the garbage, all broken up and smashed up. Oh wow! So I thought, okay. I called Nita and said, I need another sticker. She said, How come? I said, Well, somebody ripped it off. She says, Yeah. What do you? Who do you think ripped it off? I go, Oh, yeah. I guess the John ripped it off, or whatever they call him. Not the John, but the the uh, handler. I guess you called him. Uh, the handler ripped it off because he didn't like it, you know. And uh, so then I put up another one, and I thought, okay, that was a weird. And darn if it didn't, about a month later, that one got damaged. Wow. And uh, I've replaced several of them since. You should and, get them fingerprinted. Yeah, I should. You're right. Yeah, You're right. I never, I never dreamed of that. Yeah. it's a good point. But, you know, Bend, Bend, Oregon it's just, uh, you know, we're under 100,000 people and everybody knows everybody. What in the world's going on? And come to find out, it's happening in my store under our watch. So I had to get involved once I realized that. I was actually, you know, it's been neat over the past about year and a half, I believe it is, um, seeing just how much traction this organization has gotten in our industry. I, I saw it was on Twitter not that long ago. Um, Casey's and Come and Go, like, announced almost jointly. It was on one of their accounts put on Twitter, yeah, we like to compete, but on the things that matter, uh, you know, we're, we're really, um, you know, on the same team. And they showed, like, they both announced that they're putting those stickers in. And I see it, which is amazing. They both have so many stores. And um, so it's good, it's good to get that message out. But I've seen these stickers everywhere, and it's, it's great. I've seen them in non-C stores lately, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, 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 they do their best. And, you know, the other area that needs a lot more attention is the uh, hotel industry. But uh, sometimes they feel like that's their bread and butter, and they, they don't they don't want to look the other way. And I encourage folks to uh, challenge those those people to uh, get involved and make a difference, save some lives. You know, uh, when you see that person who you suspect was is is uh, in that business, you know they didn't start out that way. They didn't start out uh, addicted or having those problems. You know, they they were tricked in most all of them were tricked into it often at a very young age and uh susceptible to you know wanting love wanting some attention and 
Next thing you know, they, they can't get out. You think you could walk away. You think you can just say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm leaving. It's not that easy for them. Not only mentally, they, there's reasons why they, they're, they're stuck in there, you know, and then also they're, they're watched very closely and they, they aren't let, let out of eyesight other than make, like hopefully in a convenience store restroom. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, so, I mean, I guess generally speaking, why, what do you think is the most common reason why somebody does get trapped in that lifestyle or, or gets, or gets um, you know, just hooked into doing that? Is it, it's, is it just like needing money? Is it, um, or is it that, that someone just kind of cons them into it? Yeah. Well, I'm not the expert and I won't pretend to be. From what I remember hearing, uh, it's normally just a low self-esteem, someone who's wanting to, uh, some, some guy says, hey, let's go out and party tonight. And they go out and party and, and the next thing you know, that's what they're doing. They almost always get tricked the young girls anyway get tricked into it by thinking the guy's just they're going out on a date and then he's really their uh their pimp so wow they don't know it at the time and then it, they might not know it for a month or two they're just they're just out having a good time he takes them out shows them parties with them and and whatever happens the next thing you know they're locked in they they get them on hooked on to drugs and then they're stuck in there yeah there's usually kids on the margin maybe non-participating parents that type of thing or I, I better not answer that because I'm just not the expert on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a. Con- I mean, you know, I I know an individual um, who works with um, a number of lower income kids and mentioned a scenario where I forget the particulars of it, but there's one thing of it that stood out to me where um, I think a kid had run away or something, and they're trying to find out what happened, and come to find out there was a hotel in Des Moines, you know, my hometown, where these kids knew if they needed a ride somewhere. They just have to go down and, you know, do some unsavory things with some uh, people that happen to be hanging out in this one hotel room and they'll get a ride somewhere. And it's just it's uh, yeah, there's I think there's a lot going on that the general public is probably very unaware of in some of our communities. And that's why um, I don't know. I just thought this organization was fantastic. And I I was uh, so excited to see that somebody found this like one little area where they could help. And it's something as simple as just putting a sticker for awareness in a public restroom. Like, who would have thought? Yeah, I would never have thought of a restroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Smart idea, smart ideas. One of the things I noticed at your station is a number of your station attendants were actually high schoolers. When I went over there, um, one of them said something that really stuck with me. He was just honestly, like, tickled to death that somebody came to tour the store that he worked at. Oh, wow. And when I mentioned this, he goes, oh, man, I love working here. He goes, this is the coolest place in town. That's why, that's why I applied here. <laughs> Which I thought was a hell of an endorsement, honestly. But, you know, I, I guess something, you know, since you do employ people, what I'm really curious about is, do you, do you notice, like, any differences with, the, with just, for lack of a better phrase, just the younger generation that's coming in right now than maybe, um, you know, your employees 10, 20 years ago? I wish I could tell a different story than, the, than most every C-store owner out there. But we, we, we are challenged. And, um, you know, right now... Um, I won't tell it. I hope this podcast doesn't go home because it's a secret at home. But we're having some of our best uh, hirees, or we're working with uh, drug rehab people. Really? Wow. Well, if you think about it, the kids won't work. The kids hardly will work unless we can get a a young person in there. We actually hire 14-year-olds, 14, 15-year-olds to pump gas. Wow. Because uh, they've never had a job, and we can kind of mold them, and, and, and they still have respect. The parents are still over them, and the parents still give them. You'll go to work. You got to hold your grades. You got to do these things. But 
that the ones once they get into about 17 18 there's it seems like there's almost no hope but but so we've found some nice little ways of getting in with folks that are like they're they're going through some kind of an addiction process or something and they or they've maybe even been to jail and they're out and they need a second chance well 10 years ago i'd never hire someone just coming out of jail and i sure wouldn't hire a drug ex-drug addict you know they're just bound to steal from me but today i i know that uh I, i'm sure six out of ten employees of mine i think we got 35 employees i would so i would say probably at least over half are coming through an addiction rehab and they don't all make it but the deal is they're hungry to try to prove themselves so and they're adults they understand an alarm clock and they understand they got to come to work and so um we've really had really good luck we've we've sent some folks on to newer bigger careers they've left us after graduating maybe five years with us after going through and and proving that they can stay clean and then going on and getting better jobs getting cars getting homes and things like that so that's been probably our savior to our workforce it's not the younger generation because it is difficult you know and we've certainly learned our learned how to communicate differently to the younger generation than we used to it's a whole nother uh it's just and it seems like it's just changed so quickly how, how do you communicate with the younger generation i mean is there you know what, what's the secret is there one well i don't have a secret because but i i i know what i need to be doing and, it, and it's always it's always talking about how do they feel how how's this make you feel what can i do to help you do that better before it was like here's your job now if you want to do it then you'll get hours if you don't want to do it you're not going to get any hours and we'll fire you you know well there's always somebody there to back you up that's not true today at least in our economy and with these these folks and so we really had to learn to um, listen to them and uh, it seems like I'm compromising but in the end it pretty much all works out you know we we have to spend a lot more time counseling them and, and it has to be proactive too by the way you don't wait for the problem you sit down and say hey what's going on how's your job going how's your shift um, uh, you know hopefully you don't have to ask them how's your pay because they'll always want more but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's they're not really so concerned about the pay as they are concerned about their um, the quality of work making them making sure that they know they're making a difference in our business it's huge wow. that's interesting yeah you know, because, I mean, this is one of the things that comes up a lot with, with um, you know, retailers. is like, a, all right, assuming maybe you don't have the ability to pay, you know, another 50 cents, dollar, $2 an hour or whatever, and you need to, um, you know, offer something to just up the game a little bit with, with, with your employees and get, you know, and get some good quality applicants. I mean, what do you do? Like, what do you offer? Is it flexible hours? Is it um, trying to be really proactive and allowing them to feel more ownership over the work they do? Um, I mean, what kind of things have you been finding are particularly helpful? Or is it just like listening to them? Well, we'll do about anything to keep a person anymore. So uh, we'll, we, tr we try everything. I mean, you want a draw? Sure, here's a draw. You know, you want, uh, I mean, we don't even think twice about draws. You know, we, we, if that's what they want, that's fine. And, um, but I really think they want to be listened to. They want to they be touchy-feely, and that's not my nature. And I have to keep learning, and, and I have some good managers that are better at it than I am. But it's really really listening and uh it, i always knew i needed to spend more time you know i, I don't know hardly an indep independent out there that does annual evaluations or semi-evaluations 
Everybody knows you should be doing those. That's very important to your job, but it is so hard. And you can put, it's the last thing anybody really wants to do is do an evaluation. But nowadays, we don't do a We never have done a good one. But nowadays, we, we just sit down and talk. We just grab somebody and say, I haven't talked to her for a while. Hey, Betty, come on. Come talk to me. Tell them. And they always think they're in trouble. And I love it because when we sit down and say, so what's going on? What can I do for you? And I say, you know, what can I do for you? Uh, oh, your uniform's looking a little shabby. You need a fresh uniform? I'll get you one. You know, or um, how's, oh, this is a nightmare of a story uh, just while we're on it. This guy had worked for me for quite a while. And um, he finally got mad and quit one day. And you know what he said? This hurt bad. He says, the boss doesn't even know that I'm married and I have three kids. And he'd worked for me five years. I didn't know he was even married. Truly, I didn't know it. And when he left, that was his mad words when he came left. I was pretty wow. embarrassed and put out about it, and I never forgot about it, you know. And by the way, he came back and came back to work for me again. But, but I know his wife's name, and I know he's got three kids. I'm not sure I got them, the names are correct, but I know he's got them. But that's, I mean, 20 years ago, I don't think anybody would ever quit with that and said that. You know? Yeah, that's a strange thing to say. But it isn't strange anymore. That's yeah. who we're dealing with. And they will quit for nothing. They will, you cannot, authoritarian style management is completely gone. It is completely out. You think you can survive that in retail, you cannot. You have to make them feel valued now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a little bit different because I think we're mm -hmm. from the same generation where it's like, you know, you go do this. Yeah. And you just went and did it. We yeah. hold these meetings quite often, you know, monthly at least. We've, you know, we have fuel attendant meetings, cashier meetings, managers meetings, deli meetings. Growler guy meetings because because we ha it's not that we have a whole lot to tell them it's just to get them together and make them feel like they're making a difference and that and we challenge them with this and that and say how are we going to do it you know and they say well I know of an idea and it's a dumb maybe it's a dumb idea but <laughs> all right we'll try that you know because they want it they want to make a difference and. I guess I do too. I want to make a difference. What's well, terrific that they're motivated to make a difference. Uh, that kind of surprises me because sometimes you see people who, especially some of the young people coming out of school, they're they're just they're just there. They want to be the CEO right away. You know, uh, I can't I can't believe I don't have this job and I'm making this much money. I'm shocked. Mm -hmm. You know, so and my generation gets a bad rap. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I'm on the older end of the millennial spectrum. Um, no, I, I think what's going to be curious though is with Gen Z when they start coming more into the workforce. I, I mean, I'll, I mean, sometimes I'm only 33 and man, I feel old sometimes looking at them. I'm like, you know, when I, I wanted a driver's license as quickly as I could get one. I wanted to go out. I literally remember the day I drove without a parent in the car for the first time and how good that felt. Um, but then, you know, I was reading something from a um, generational researcher um, recently who was pointing out how for pretty much every other generation it's you've wanted a, a license as quickly as you can get it but for gen z it's a chore to get a driver's license yeah. because the parents always drive them i mean they can you know lay in bed and open up snapchat and talk to their friends get on yep. tiktok whatever it is um it's just a and whole... we use we used to use the car as leverage against the kids <laughs> now we have to use the phone as leverage against the kids yeah the yeah. world's in the palm of their hands their social life's in the palm of their hands their uh, uh you know their self-esteem is there if they're getting likes on Facebook or it's it's, it's but what about uh, and that's why we see frictionless checkouts coming in because we can't get the staff I wouldn't want a frictionless checkout but I do want one now because it's just one less person I have don't have to worry about not showing up yeah no see it's it, it, it's funny like I was literally talking about this with a friend at the NAC show today and 
I think the sort of like checkout free retail solution, I, I mean, you've been to Amazon Go, I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw a lot of employees there that were just able to talk, chat, um, deliver great customer service. And I thought it was great because I think for me, what really irritates me is when I go to the, the uh, register, I'm ready to get out of there. And nothing irritates me more than when I walk up at one of these big chains and I'm delivered a script that I've mm-hmm. heard the last hundred times mm-hmm. I've been there. I look at that person with the, with the awareness that they're delivering a script. They know that I know they're doing a script. It's this weird song and dance. And then I'm just getting permission to leave. But with Amazon Go, I just walk out. But if I need customer service, I need to talk to somebody. They're there and they're ready to help. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. But, um, but So yeah. if we do frictionless checkout and it becomes popular throughout all retail, where's all these jobs going? And I, are, the, are we just going to take care of those people through our taxes that we paid years ago? Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's a tough question. I, I mean, part of it, and again, I could be very wrong here. I feel like a frictionless checkout or checkout-free solution and a grocer could probably eliminate some jobs because you do have a lot of staff that seem to be dedicated to the register. I feel like in a convenience store, maybe to give someone time to clean the restroom or stock some shelves. Um, you know, I, I talked about this a, a few times, but I talked to an Amazon Go employee in Chicago who said she worked for a um, major pharmacy chain I won't name, and they were understaffed, didn't have enough employees, and basically when um, someone asked, do, do you have this product that's not on the shelves? If it was in the back room in a box, uh, she just was told to say that they don't have it. And she couldn't talk to people because she had to move them along in line, and she hated it. So she's like, Amazon goes great because I can talk to my customers in the store and stock the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It seems like it'd be great for convenience stores. But honestly, to your point, I do wonder with grocers, though, if that would lead to some job loss. Yeah. Well, in really the grocery do. business, you know, there's... Uh I don't know, probably 40% of their checkouts are frictionless now. But how, do, how does that work when you have to weigh produce? It still works. They, they, Someone doesn't have to, send it, have to come over and weigh your produce? No, you, ha- you have to look it up uh, a number. Or, you know, you read the like, produce got little numbers on them. And yeah, you just you type say. in the code. I mean, um, one of the ones by me, you just like search for, for example, if it's asparagus or, or like let's say uh, apples. You'll just search for the type of apple and then hit the button and kind of weighs it out. It's But in our business, in the retail convenience store, the, the big question for me is, and I just had this discussion a couple hours ago, like you did, Frank, but what do you do about most of, you know, I would say uh, I think 60, 70% of my in-store sales are beer or tobacco related. And uh, what do you do about uh, checking IDs on that? I mean... Another solution I saw at Amazon Go um, was they just had someone standing there, um, which was interesting. I wouldn't kind of pick that person's brain for about ten minutes about how she likes working there, but yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I've seen that you know Zippin and Standard Cognition are a couple of the companies that are making that technology that can be put into other retailers, and I saw recently, I believe it's both of them actually are going to be partnering with um, sports stadiums. The idea being, I mean, we've all waited in line for beer at a ball game or whatever. It's, it's, it's a huge pain. So what if you can just walk in a place, grab a beer, and get out of there? I'm actually really curious to see how that works because I, I'm not quite sure how that would work. Yeah. Especially with the age verification. Um, you know, I did see, though, today at the NAC show, I wish I remembered the name of the company. I mean, I'll pull it up on my phone see if it's there. But they had – you may have seen this in the, in, in the news section – they had a uh, point-of-sale touchscreen that could scan your face 
and literally estimate your age. Now, fortunately, I'm 33, and they thought I was 27, so I felt really good about myself. <laughs> I felt very good about myself today, I and I literally that. took a photo of that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm turning 34 soon, so I'm starting to feel old. But I thought that was great. And it, from what it sounded like is if you downloaded the app yourself, um, you could be in control of your own information, allow other retailers to access it. So it's not like they would scan your face and then other retailers would have that information. They delete the photo and all that. But it seems like there may be a w- some way to use that type of technology to estimate a person's age really quickly, maybe uh, err on the side of being a little younger instead of older and just um, you know eliminate some of that. Yeah. The idea was like if you had to verify, like if, the, if, if, if they look like 21, for example, and you're not sure, then you could have someone go check. But for a 60 year old who does not look like they're 20 years old, um, then it can just tell and they well, can just leave. Now, now that you think about it, you know, uh, at a major grocery store, what they do is they have one person stand there managing right. six, six locations. Yep. And then as soon as age verification comes up, they, they come over and check your age and pa- pass you on. If you have a problem, they come over and check that out. So I guess it, it could work. You know, the idea is to reduce the labor. Yeah. And, and by the way, like Frank said, People, people don't really want the one-on-one communication in a convenience store. They want in and out. They're in there. It's convenient. In and out. They do like a good smile and a little bit of, if we can look, we learn our customers' names, so it's really important to us for, you know, but that's creating relationship. Then you got something. But if you're just like, I've never been in here and they go, how are you, sir, today? You know, I was like, ah, come on. <laughs> well, that's like if you, um, I won't pick on any big electronic stores here uh, by name, but we've all been in there and... Oh man, you walk right through the door and hey, can I help you find something? I, I mean, I just got in here and actually, I probably know where everything in the store is. And I'll find you if I need help with something. It's just, um, I think so many people do customer service wrong. It's just, it's nice to go to a place and be acknowledged that hey, how's it going? Um, not of the head, acknowledge your presence, but they don't have to just hound you with questions. I, and that's what rubs me the wrong way about this idea that missing the cash register is somehow a knock on customer service. I, I mean, I literally, NPR had someone on there one day talking about how the loss of the cash register is like this cataclysmic thing about customer service. And I'm like, guys, the cash register is like the credit card imprinter. It's yeah. just, it's it's a type of technology that's going away because we have another way to give a per- person permission to leave a store and charge them for what they took. But you know, if the big box stores would take the, the, the employees that, that would have been working the cash register and put them out on the floor yeah. for customer service, that would be great. Because sometimes, especially in an electronic store, you might want to know something about a hard drive or something like that. It would be great if there's someone to ask. I mean, maybe it's, it's kind of like the Apple store. I mean, they just walk around in their T-shirts. And, I mean, I'm not an Apple fan, so I don't try to go in there very much. I wish I'll, you'd become one. I mean, yeah. We all I, move up one. And, you know, we can get <laughs> someone on, you know. I mean, I like building my custom gaming computers uh, instead of uh, – I mean, instead of an Apple computer. But anyway, I mean, they clearly do a good job. They're always busy when I'm at the mall, but they're just kind of spread out around the store to help people. And uh, I mean, you know, it works. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get, you know, I guess as we start to think about closing this out here, you know, something I'm curious about, for someone new that's getting into the convenience store industry, what would your advice be to them? Well, I guess... Well, I would certainly tell them they're going to have a fun time. I don't know what it's like to work for a, a seesaw chain, but independents, I don't know of an independent that isn't happy to go to work. Even though I met some pretty old guys, you know, older than myself, that just love going to work every day because it's fun and, and it's creative. You get to, you, 
you meet and people you're making decisions quickly all kinds of quick decisions and um, you're in control of the environment you can create sales so fast uh, so I would just tell them be excited about it yeah yeah I think you're right and, and honestly speaking as a consumer you can feel when a store oh, yeah. is excited about the work they do it just shows in everything I mean it's you just you feel the excitement when you walk into it like I we had spoken on our last episode with an individual from uh, Australia, and when he was doing the store, the store tour that he took me on, we walked into this one, and I'd never been there before, didn't really know much about it, and it just felt different. I mean, like, the excitement bled, I mean, just out of everybody. It was, it was really cool. Like, I mean, you just feel it as a consumer. Yeah, but, I, but, but, but at the same token, you can feel when someone's not excited about their work. No doubt about it. And I tell you, I walked into a store, I, I, I call it just a sense of fun. You know, everybody likes a sense of fun, you know? I think and, we forget that retail can be fun. Yes. Really fun. I mm-hmm. mean, shop, I mean, shopping and buying things can be extremely fun, actually. <laughs> and some, going to a convenience store can be fun, but um, I think the more that you can, you can show so, that to your customers. Some of the, uh, the larger chains have made it easy for an independent to thrive because of the, what we can do and how we can treat our customers, you know, and... Being an independent, I have, well, I have my son's my partner now, and my daughter manages one of the departments. And, and so, uh, you know, it's easy to gel together and to come up with great ideas and to initiate them. And if, and if they don't work, boy, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of stuff not work. I've created lots and lots of ideas, some of them from next. I took them <laughs> home, and it didn't work. I mean, I tried deep fried peanuts from from this show here uh <laughs> I, I crammed down people's throats trying to get sell those things i couldn't understand why west coast people don't want deep fried peanuts but they don't and they're not going to eat them because uh, you know you eat a deep fried peanut you eat it in the shell and uh, i did not uh they, people one. couldn't they couldn't do it on the west coast they got to peel that shell out anyway or boiled i tried boiled too which i also like but they don't care for but anyway you can try anything and then, uh, you know, without very little expense to, to, to the bottom line. And you get to be creative and, and uh, the marketing is enormous amounts of types of new marketing. And the, look, look at the NAC show, all the different things that are happening down there, all the new stuff that's happening. That new area, look at the amount of new items that are in that new, new area in the NAC show. And if I was going to tell somebody that was getting into the industry, go to NACs. That's what you got to do. You got to go to NACs to learn and to get educated. Yeah, I think people just need to be exposed to more than what's happening at their own store. Okay. I, I think it's, and I've heard this from from a few people. You know, it's just so easy, especially for um, you know independent, especially uh, ones that are maybe just getting going. It's it's easy to just put in all those hours as an owner and just be in your store all the time and never get out and get exposure to other ideas. Um, but I mean, I think some of the best ones are just always looking for what's new, what's happening, um, what can I do that no one else is actually doing? Like, what is the, the one thing that I'm going to be the best at? And you have to carve that out because so many of these people, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they have no one to run their store. I, I've heard it so many times. I said, you know, I've told people you ought to go to an accident. and said, I can't leave for three days, you know, and I don't have anybody, you know, and it's it's tough for some of them and and but i think sometimes you have to have a really good assistant manager somebody can go in there or a good manager can run it get out of there and see what's going on well that's world. a management problem there that's a lack of being able to delegate yeah. and 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 trust people that's the one of the keys to great for part. me to have the fun that i have i have i i there's i there's nothing in that store that only i can do 
In fact, I, there's hardly nothing in that store I can do today. But <laughs> at the time, I mean, I, I knew that from a long time. Safeway taught me that when I worked for them. That uh, uh, you know, you got to lead. You got to uh, allow your people the the responsibility to take the responsibility. And I, if you got a crew of over five, you should be at Nax. Anyway, you can't afford not to go to Nax because if you're not going to Nax, you're not staying up on it. You're counting on salesmen telling you how to run your store. You're counting on your wholesalers telling you how to run your store, and they're not really the experts. They're, they've got a mission. They've got stuff to sell, and they're going to try to get it, sell it to you. If you're listening to your wholesalers, you're, you're not, never going to do as well as you need to. You have to learn from yourself, and you've got to learn from the industry. You know, and that's one of the great things about a show like this is you just never know who you're going to run into right. and who's there. I mean, not just even from the United States, but from around the world or from other industries and um, you just meet the most interesting people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would, you know, a few years ago, I never would have thought that we were learning from China. You know, their sea stores were going to be the ones that we're learning from. And then today at the Ideas Ago, I was amazed at what China was doing in a sea store, you know, and, and in technology. And we're learning from them. You know, it's um, <laughs> something stuck with me that I, I heard from an individual. I know at a company who does a lot of work in that part of the world. He was saying, I believe, it was a, I believe it was a convenience store in Japan. He said he was there and was standing in line behind somebody who had taped a sign to his hand that essentially said no bag. And when he got to the counter, the person said, do you want a bag for this? And he just raised his hand up and held the sign that said no bag. He was so tired of being asked that question. And um, so it's just, it's interesting to see how, um, you know, because to me, I can relate to that 100%. I'm tired of being asked the same questions. I want more, I want the ability to control my own retail experience. So when I look at something like what Amazon's doing and what's going on in China, I'm like, this this really excites me because I want to be able to control my own experience and um, have that personalization. But at, at the same time, um, back to your point, I think there's still room for good customer service. Oh, no doubt. We just have to be more thoughtful about where we put the customer service. Some customers want that experience. They don't want just a transaction. They want to have a little bit of an experience. And- that can make a difference in a person's morning and their whole day sometimes. Well, Kent, thanks again for coming on our podcast, and we're, we'll have to have another conversation soon. Yeah, this is yeah, fun. Good. Thank you, guys. Thanks for inviting me. I'm always excited to hear what you're up to. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye.